The Pat Kenny Show on News Talk with Matter Private Network. During current restrictions, don't ignore your health concerns. Our expert team is ready to help. Well, now we're joined by Professor Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Luke, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, they've been looking back at the the, the origins of SARS-CoV-2. Was it the lab? Was it the... The, the food market and there is kind of a verdict now there is at last in a sense I mean clearly this is still out there and people are wondering this is this is the key one of the key remaining questions where did it come from it's obviously important to stop it happening again that, that's the main reason we want to get an answer to this but three big studies very impressive pet analysis they've, they've like lots and lots of data they took lots of this is with the Chinese scientists and an international consortium have now dug into all the data basically and it's a tour de force in many ways uh, the bottom line as we know it did come from the market the Hunan seafood market is the source of this, no, no question now from that. And it was two separate events they think, strikingly, in November December probably of 2019 two separate lineages jump into people from there. That decreases the chance it's a lab leak because that would be more likely to be one, one sample for example. You know. So now all this data is, is ever pointing to a, a market source firstly and secondly then from animals in that market is what they're concluding. So they found two strains of uh, the SARS-CoV-2 and the, the possibility that there were two accidents with two spillages in the lab, yeah. not really likely. And they're very distinct lineages. So it's unlikely that lab was harbouring two completely differently. It seems unlikely. There's still a chance, of course, they can't fully rule that out, by the way. There's still a chance that someone went to the market and infected people at one particular stall. They've, they've tracked it down to a single stall, amazingly, in the market, where there are 156 cases came from that stall. They'd loads of samples. See, see once, once the thing began in early January, they went in and took loads of swabs. They took thousands and thousands of samples from all over the market. They sampled hundreds of animals as well, you see. And from that, they're saying it was one specific stall, amazingly, could have been the origin because so many cases could be tracked to that stall. And what's very interesting, Pat, is this thing I, I, I hadn't come across before. There's a species called raccoon dogs. And they're an exotic animal, you know, they're one of these protected animals, basically. They harbour loads and loads of coronaviruses, and that was known before, you see. And this stall probably had raccoon dogs, and that might have been the source. The bat might have infected the raccoon dog, basically, and then these raccoon dogs may have been the source. So uh, that looks like the verdict is it came from the food market. Uh, have they done anything to stop this kind of thing recurring? I mean, have they shut down these things? Have they banned uh, the sale of exotic animals? Yeah, they, well, they, this, this is the plan, isn't it? There were 47,000 animals sold in that market over a period. Uh, 31 were protected species, and, and raccoon dogs, I think, are protected, you see. And clearly it could be from a protected species in the wild, you know? So again, yes, well, I, to be honest, I'm not sure whether, whether the law has changed on those markets or not. But certainly these reports would suggest you've got to start, you've got to control this in some way, this live live animal selling. The other thing, Pat, was the raccoon dog cages were over a sewage system and they found loads of samples in that sewage system as well, you see. So obviously there's hygiene issues as well in these markets where the thing can spread through the sewage system, for instance. But all that now is in these reports. What strikes me, Pat, is the Chinese disease centre, the CDC in China, are heavily involved in these reports. And of course we worry, are we getting all the facts? But this looks like an extremely transparent, um, you know, honest account of what might have happened. And as I say, it, it seems to be this, this specific part of the market seems to be to blame. Now, uh, some other news. You might catch COVID 
from a hamster or a deer. Yeah, well, that's, that's the next thing. I mean, the thing is, what's happening in Northern they're sampling loads of animals all over the world anyway, constantly now for COVID, just to see if there's SARS coronaviruses in different animals. Because, of course, that, again, that's the question of whether it might jump again from an animal into a human. Now, mink were the first species that you may remember. Remember, there was the mink business that there was in mink, now hamsters. And that's a fascinating study. It was in Hong Kong. Now, Hong Kong had a zero COVID policy, by the way. There was hardly any COVID there at all. And then a pet shop worker, he was 23 years of age, Age gets infected and they wonder why and they, they test them and he's working at a pet shop they test samples from the pet shop loads of animal samples are taken and lo and behold he caught it from a hamster it looks like and they found I think it was something like um, let me get them, 15 out of 28 hamsters tested positive and remember Pat they could sequence the virus in the hamster and show it was the same one that went into the, the pet shop worker if you, if you know what I mean so they knew then it was the hamster jumping into a human now it's a very rare event let, let's say that much we don't want to be cutting loads of hamsters by any means mm-hmm. but hamsters are a reservoir for coronaviruses and then SARS-CoV-2 is in these hamsters and lo and behold it infected a, a pet shop worker so that's a very interesting study. Now uh, just to confuse things further this was what's known as the Syrian hamster but it didn't come from Syria it came from the Netherlands. Yes they, they tracked the, the supplier of that this is how elaborate but this is like one of those um, you know CSI on the TV shows they tracked the hamster source back to the Netherlands they, they imported the, there was some pet shop company in the Netherlands exporting hamsters and that, that they tracked it back to that place you see and they went back further into Eastern Europe might have been the original source of these hamsters that got infected and so they could track it all the way from there all the way through to Hong Kong and then lo and behold into, into one of the pet shop workers. Okay, so um, that's that. the hamster. Um, nothing to be too uh, concerned about, but it shows that you can get animal-to-human transmission. What about the deer? Yeah, that was a Canadian study. Now, again, it's it, it's good um, detective work in a sense. But so someone got infected in Canada. They sequenced it. They realised this person was working with deer, uh, a deer farmer maybe. And lo and behold, the, the white-tailed deer was infected and it infected the human. And again, they can show that through the, the sequencing of the virus, you see. So the white-tailed deer is our, is our third species, if you will, they can carry these viruses. So we've got mink hamster and now these deer, basically. And again, it's it, it's rare these events. They're farm animals, and, and they're work, the people working on the farm are getting exposed, you know. But again, a bit of caution might be needed for people in contact with animals in their jobs, for instance. And, and by the way, this is an ongoing study. Lots and lots of work is going into which animals harbour SARS-CoV-2, just to keep an eye on that. Because what we don't want happening, of course, is maybe in six months' time, when immunity begins to wane a bit, a human getting infected from a deer, saying they're spreading it again. You see. So again, it's an important for the future to keep an eye on these things. And do we know anything about the method of transmission? Because we know you can get Lyme disease from a tick yeah. that uh, might jump off a deer and onto a human. So is that the methodology of transmission no, or is it something else? It's fluids. Probably, it, 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 sadly enough, a deer might have coughed on a human. It's strange that may seem as respiratory, isn't it? So, so somehow it got out of the deer's lungs, if you will, and into the face of a, of a farm worker, maybe, is one idea. They have seen it in, in, in meat, though. So the, the virus does seem to live a bit, you know, post-mortem, as it were, in animals. So maybe someone picked it up off. A, meat, a, a sample of meat for instance and of course in the sewage example it, it could gather in certain parts of the sewage system you know and then maybe that could be a source mm-hmm. as well Alright so uh, venison people like it pink not well done perhaps yes, that's right. it should be heated to the temperature that'll kill the virus um, before I let you go we've got to talk about this thing that came out showing a communication between the minister Stephen Donnelly and uh, Dr Tony Holland 
where Stephen Donnelly expressed surprise that higher grade masks were not recommended during the Omicron outbreak. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that was unusual. A bit of a spat there, was it, in the emails or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think the minister was saying, please give a recommendation that please there were FFP2 masks. Now, why were they reluctant to say that is, is the mystery, isn't it, in a sense? Because it wasn't clearly defined, really. They were recommending masks, of course, all the time. I wonder, was it a supply issue, maybe an expense? Because they are slightly more expensive and mass purchasing of those might have created problems or something. But certainly um, those FFP2s were the way to go then, for de- especially in vulnerable people. Because remember, that would protect you. The FFP2s are very good at protecting you from getting infected. And, and there could have been a stronger recommendation, as Stephen Donnelly said. Yeah, I mean, the the email goes, while I accept that there may be barriers to implementation and that some people may find them hard to tolerate, I do not understand why we would not recommend highly effective certified masks. This is the email to Tony Olin. I believe we must provide clear communication that FFP2 or equivalent provide greater protection. People can make their own choices. I'm aware that a number of countries are already recommending medical masks as opposed to cloth face coverings as the latter are regarded uh, as inferiors. So, again, in effort yeah. behind the curve. It's a strange one, isn't it? That, that is a bit strange, must be said, to see that, that, that correspondence. And, 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 and there's no doubt FFP2s are the way to go. And now we know. And I think I, I, even now, Pat, is there a strong recommendation? I'm not sure there is, is there? I haven't come across a, a no. strong recommendation to no, switch to vulnerable it turns people. Out, do you know the, the recommendation that, you know, you do wear masks on public transportation uh, and in healthcare settings? It turns out, and we discovered this during the week, that the recommendation to wear them in healthcare settings is only a recommendation. It does not have the force of law. Yeah, that expired on the 1st of March, strange, which is very, it? very strange. Yeah, very strange. And in fact, on the dart this morning, I'd say a fifth aren't wearing masks now. So we're going back, you know, to the to the pre-mask era, I guess. So again, if you're vulnerable and you're getting on the dart, wearing FFP2 has to be the advice to protect you because there will be yeah. people on that dart not wearing masks, basically, which is their choice, of course. I was looking at an indoor athletics meeting in Madrid last night uh, where uh, one, a couple of Irish athletes were uh, competing and uh, did pretty well, actually. But uh, the entire uh, audience there were wearing masks. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's still persisting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I get the advice that until winter ends, really, we should have these masks. That, that's what we've been saying. I mean, in the next month or so, we now come into the spring and it gets a bit easier and then the virus spreads less beyond the winter. But certainly for the next few weeks, the advice yeah. would be to keep wearing masks in these settings. Well, the experience in News Talk, uh, there's a, another dose going around. Uh, people are being laid low and sick, you know, quite sick. Yeah. It's not... Uh, it's not COVID because they've done PCR tests and antigen tests to beat the band, but they're still quite sick. So you're wondering to what extent, you know, our vulnerability haven't been locked up for a couple of years. Suddenly a typical winter bug comes along. We were wearing masks. We're not now. And you yeah, fall like yeah, a fly. That, that's very true. And flu and colds are still there, remember. And, and you're right, over the past year or two, less exposure, our immunity would have gone down to common, maybe a common cold gives you much more severe symptoms now if you catch it, because you've lost that protection over the last year or two. So people should remember that as well. All right, Luke, uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us. That's Professor Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. 